Red Pill Torah, calling believers from man's institutions to God's instructions. We talk about believing the word of Elohim. At the end of the day, it's about what we do. I'm Tim. And I'm Miss. There's a difference between believing the word of Elohim and believing in Elohim, believing his character, his integrity, and power. We have to believe both. Amen. You can email us at redpilltorah at gmail.com. Find us at our website, www.redpilltorah.com. Follow us on redpilltorah.podbean.com, on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, YouTube, or wherever you hear your favorite podcasts. We love to hear from you. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And a big shalom to our listeners in Texas and New Zealand. In case you didn't know, Red Pill Tour can now be heard on Reach Gospel Radio in Maryland, Delaware, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania, and also on the Reach Gospel Radio app. If you are in any of those areas or have the app, please listen out for us at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Sunday mornings. Let us know that you've heard the program, and please keep us in prayer. Most of this week's Torah portion covers the 12 spies, their evil report, Israel's responses to the evil report, and Elohim's judgment. It still amazes me to see just how the Torah provides context for understanding the rest of the Bible, from creation through to the death of Moses. We have enough revelation of truth to understand who we are, why we're here, who created us, what he wants from us, and so much more. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, that doesn't mean we don't have to read the rest of the Bible. It just means that the truths we learn from the Torah are made even more clear in the prophets, the writings, and the New Testament. Remember that Yeshua explained what these scriptures said about him to the dejected disciples as they walked the road to Emmaus. Since the New Testament had not been written at that time, it's safe to say that Yeshua did not quote a single verse from it. As followers of Yeshua, we too should be able to use the Old Testament to show who Yeshua is, what he did here on earth, and what he is doing in the throne room of Yehovah right now. Amen, Daddy. I hope Yeshua repeats his teaching from the Emmaus Road when we see him. Now, let's go to the book of Numbers, chapter 13. Starting at verse 1, it says, Yehovah said to Moshe, Send men on your behalf to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each ancestral tribe, send someone who was a leader in his tribe. Moshe dispatched them from the Paran Desert, as Jehovah had ordered. All of them were leading men among the people of Israel. These were not randomly chosen or Joe Citizen type of men. They were all men of stature in their tribes, leaders who were well known and respected among the people. The meaning of the, some of these men's names is impressive. So, Mama, you did some great research on these names. Please tell us what some of them mean. Sure. I found that Shem Mua, the first person listed in verse 4, means listen. Shafat means judge or he has judged. Egal means redeem or he redeems. Hosea means salvation. And Sathor means to neutralize. Another thing I discovered uh, in verse 16 was Moshe giving Hosea, the son of Nun, the name Yehoshua. And as we learned in earlier podcasts, 
Yah is a short form for Yehovah. So, Yehoshua actually means Yehovah is salvation. Hosea must have really felt honored giving, being given that nickname. Oh, so our Elohim does not waste words or even a single letter in a name. Nope. Even the names have deep meaning. Picking up at Numbers 13, verse 17 says, uh, Moshe sent them to explore the land of Canaan, instructing them, Go on up to the Negev and into the hills, and see what the land is like. Notice the people living there, whether they are strong or weak, few or many, and what kind of country they live in, whether it is good or bad, and what kinds of cities they live in, open or fortified. See whether the land is fertile or unproductive, and whether there is wood in it or not. Finally, be bold enough to bring back some of the fruit of the land. Verse 23 says, They came to the Eshkol Valley, and there they cut off a branch bearing one cluster of grapes, which they carried on a pole between two of them. They also took pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol, which is Hebrew for cluster, because of the cluster which the people of Israel cut down there. Forty days later, they returned from exploring the land and went to Moshe, Aaron, and the entire community of the people of Israel and showed them the fruit of the land. What they told him was this, We entered the land where you sent us, and indeed it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. However, the people living in the land are fierce, and the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the Anakim there, the Amalek in the area of the Negev, the Hitti, the Yavusi, and the Amori in the hills, and the Kanani live by the sea and along the Yarden. Tim, by this time you can imagine that the people were probably feeling pretty troubled by this news. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they were, based on what you just read. But wait, there's a little hope. Verse 30 reads, Caleb silenced the people around Moses and said, We ought to go up immediately and take possession of it. There is no question that we can conquer it. But the men who had gone with him said, We can't attack those people because they are stronger than we are. And they spread a negative report about the land they had explored for the people of Israel by saying, The land we passed through in order to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. All the people we saw there were giants. To ourselves, we look like grasshoppers by comparison. And we look that way to them, too. Daddy, sorry about that. I guess I spoke too soon. Well, uh, that was not the only spy mission that the children of Israel had, though. Forty years later, another spy mission was launched. The details are found in the book of Joshua. When we contrast this spy mission with the one in Joshua chapter 2, we gain a lot of valuable perspective. Here's what Rahab, the woman in uh, Jericho, who hid the two spies, told these spies. Starting in Joshua 2, verse 9, she said, I know that Jehovah has given you the land. Fear of you has fallen on us. Everyone in the land is terrified at the thought of you. We've heard how Jehovah dried up the water in the Red Sea ahead of you when you left Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amori on the other side of the Yarden, Sichon and Og, that you completely destroyed them. As soon as we heard it, our hearts failed us. 
because of you, everyone is in a state of depression. For Yehovah, your Elohim, he is Elohim in heaven above and on earth below. Israel's reaction to the 12 spies report sounds a lot like Rahab's description of her people's mindset regarding miracles that Elohim had performed 40 years earlier. 40 years is a long time to live in fear, by the way. As for Israel, they had entered into what we now call an unequal yoking. 2 Corinthians 6, starting at verse 14, says, Do not yoke yourselves together in a team with unbelievers. For how can righteousness and lawlessness be partners? What fellowship does light have with darkness? What harmony can there be between the Messiah and Bilyaal? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement can there be between the temple of Elohim and idols? For we are the temple of the living Elohim. Mm -hmm. As Jehovah said, I will house myself in them, and I will walk among you. I will be your Elohim, and you will be my people. Therefore, Jehovah says, go out from their midst, separate yourselves, don't even touch what is unclean. Then I myself will receive you. In fact, I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says Adonai Tsevaot. An unequal yoking is not just acting in ways that agree with unbelievers. It includes adopting their ways of thinking and adopting thoughts that align with their thoughts in opposition to the expressed word of Jehovah. Based on the evil report from the ten spies, Israel believed that they could not defeat their adversaries and occupy the land, even with their Elohim on their side. According to Rahab, the people in Jericho believed that they couldn't defeat Israel and retain their land, even with their gods that they worshipped helping them. Both sides held the same belief. The problem was, by embracing the same fear and doubt, Israel got the same judgment that Jehovah planned for Jericho. Israel could not enter the land. Israel's doubt merely bought the people in the land of Canaan another 40 years, but their eviction was sure to happen, even if it came later. Israel's doubt also put Jehovah on par with whatever gods the people in Jericho were worshiping. If Israel had set him apart as Adonai Tsevaot, or the lord of a huge number or legions in his army, they would have shown faith in his ability to get them into the land. Too often, many of us miss opportunities to sanctify or set apart the reputation of our Elohim as distinct from the greatest person or thing anyone can think of. Excluding Joshua and Caleb, this type of failure cost the adult Israelites entry into the promised land. It was even the reason Elohim gave for Moshe's not being able to go in. You're right, Daddy. Numbers chapter 20 Verses 10 through 12 says, But after Moshe and Aaron had assembled the, uh, the community in front of the rock, he said to them, Listen here, you rebels. Are we supposed to bring you water from this rock? Then Moshe raised his hand and hit the rock twice with his staff. Water flowed out in abundance in the community and their livestock drank. Jehovah said to Moshe and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me so as to sanctify or cause me to be regarded as holy by the people of Israel, you will not bring this community into the land I had given you. 
We saw the same sin in Leviticus chapter 10 when Aaron's two sons died before Elohim. Reading from verse 1, Nadab and Avihu, sons of Aaron, each took his censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and offered unauthorized fire before Yehovah, something he had not ordered them to do. At this, fire came forth from the presence of Yehovah and consumed them, so that they died in the presence of Yehovah. Moshe said to Aaron, This is what Yehovah said, Through those who are near me, I will be sanctified, or treated as holy, and before all the people I will be glorified. Aaron kept silent. Setting Elohim apart is really serious business. Amen. So, what would you do if you discover that the way you live your life and some of your beliefs were out of line with God's instructions? Would you take the blue pill and act as if the Elohim of Israel is a functional equivalent to any other God people believe in? Or would you take the red pill and uphold the difference between the one true and living Elohim and all others? Only you can answer that question. These days, people say that we're all God's children. Can that be true? 1 John 5 says, We know that everyone who has Elohim as his father does not go on sinning. On the contrary, the son born of Elohim protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Verse 19 continues with, We know that we are from Elohim, and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of Elohim has come and has given us discernment, so that we may know who is genuine. Moreover, we are united with the One who is genuine, united with His Son, Yeshua, the Messiah. He is the genuine Elohim and eternal life. Children, guard yourselves against false gods. We encourage you to remember, proclaim, and behave like there is nothing too hard for our Elohim. Amen. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Please go back and listen again to what we shared and talk about it with your family and friends. Thanks for spending 15 or so minutes with us at Red Pill Tour, where you, you can, can handle, handle the, the truth. truth.